Good morning. It's so good to be together on this Lord's Day morning. We can all come together and, and remember our Lord and, um, and edify each other. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, if you're our guest, we, we thank you for being here especially, and we want to invite you to ask any questions, to let us know how we can pray with you, how we can serve you spiritually in, in any way. Um, one particular thing we, we are able to offer and we love to do is if you're interested in sitting down together for some you know, personal sessions of, of discipling and teaching, uh, that's something that we love to do, to draw uh, ourselves and others closer to the Lord. It's a really special special church. I'm so thankful for this group. It was really fun being together yesterday. I want to acknowledge everybody who put together the potluck yesterday. I was thinking, as I thought about this lesson about Thirsty, I was thinking about something that happened yesterday. Uh, Nadia saw that one of her friends was having Sprite, and she got really excited, and so she got Sprite, and that meant Evie got Sprite, and getting soda is a really big deal, and, uh, you know, this, there's this whole tr- table we had full of all of these beverages, and I found out, Faith and I were standing over there pouring the drink, that it wasn't actually Sprite, it was this new product from, uh, from PepsiCo called uh, Starry, which... The PepsiCo chief marketing officer says, I love this, with one product dominating the category, talking about Sprite, consumers deserve another option, one that hits different. Starry is bright, optimistic, and rooted in culture and fun. <laughs> that is a lot to do for a you know, sugar water with some lemon flavoring. <laughs> But uh, as they see it, it's going to accomplish all of that. And I, I was an, an advertising professional for 17 years. And so I thought maybe we would take this moment and think about advertising. I want to share with you five uh, did-you-know facts about advertising. First of all, I found this interesting. The oldest ad was from our, that, that we know of. It's in the British Museum. It was from around 3000 BC. And it's this, this papyrus where a slave owner in Egypt named Hapu is saying he needs to find his slave Shem. He has, uh, he's a, a carpet shop, a rug shop owner. And as he's calling out for help finding Shem, he takes the time to say, so you can find it, look for the best rug shop in all of town. And he talks about how it has the very best rugs ever, ever to be found. And so this, this uh, enterprising capitalist spirit has been around for a while as he uses this content marketing, basically, telling this dramatic story and then weaving his brand into it. Jumping all the way to February... And all of the ads that show up at the Super Bowl, we topped an all-time high for pricing on Super Bowl ads. 
typically the most expensive ad buy of the year, $7 million average for 30 seconds. 30 seconds of advertising. And number three, did you know that the average American sees 4,000 to 10,000 ads daily? That just doesn't sound right. I mean, I know it's all over the place, but... I feel like I could be walking down Times Square and not see 4,000 ads. But, but this is what research shows, that we're just inundated, right, with this messaging constantly. And as we're told, buy, 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 everywhere we turn, there's a 2020 HBR article that reported the results of this huge 30-year study since 1981 that constantly found an inverse relationship between a country's spending on advertising and their consumer's satisfaction. So a year to two years later, constantly they found, as an ad budget increased throughout the country, the consumer satisfaction decreased. In other words, advertising makes us less happy. And, um, you know, it's it's... This message that is constantly saying, there's more for you out there. If you only had this watch, if you only bought this dish detergent, if you drove this car or drank this beverage, you would be a different person, have a different lifestyle. There's constant dissatisfaction and constant uh, push to buy. My kids are now at this stage where they're being marketed to. It's kind of scary. I mean, there's, there are 10-year-olds on YouTube as influencers hawking toys and saying, if you have these, you'll be happy. Just trying to stoke those flames of covetousness, creating that elusive happiness that you can't quite find as you chase it down through all of these consumer habits. I mentioned Sprite earlier, and Sprite really took over the market in a big way in the 90s with a campaign called Obey Your Thirst, targeted at my generation, Gen X. And the idea of the campaign was people are tired of advertising that's manipulative and trying to use all these ploys of influencing. And so they used a different ploy. They said, we're not going to use any ploys. And so they would tell you, you know, hey, don't listen to me. What's it matter what I say? Obey your thirst. Listen to And then they shortened it to just obey. Listen to the Lord Sprite. I mean, this is so crazy. How, how could we put this up here like this? The ads continue. There's a, a more recent ad with... Landon, could you help me get that to the next slide? I think I'm stuck. Yeah, with LeBron James, where LeBron says... I'll never tell you to drink Sprite, even if I was in a commercial for Sprite, which I am. I wouldn't tell you to drink it. I'd ask you, you want a Sprite? 
There's something actually here for our lesson too. In fact, all of this has something for our lesson today about the thirsty. Because there is something we want to pay attention to. We need to notice when we're thirsty. We need to tend to our thirst. We can't make anybody drink the living water. But we do want to say, you want life? We talked last week about the Spirit's role with the living water. And we'll talk at the end of the month about the bride's role in saying, come, the living water. But today we want to talk about the thirsty. The thirsty and see what God's offer is. This all comes from Revelation 22, verse 17, where we read that the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let him drink the water of life without price, if they but desire it. If you want it, if you want it, it's yours. That's really, that's really the qualifier. Who wants it? Who wants it enough to come and receive it? I need help again there. This water has no price, no cost. In Isaiah 55, verse 1, we find a similar passage, a passage that this maybe is, is coming from, that John maybe is, has in mind as he is led to, to reveal this idea of coming to drink. Now, looking at this in Isaiah 55, verse 1, it might sound like, oh, it's just another promotion. Almost could be a, a Kroger billboard, you know? Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Except upon closer inspection, we see there's something more going on here in Isaiah 55 and verse 1. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Notice, There are actually not one, but three different invitations in this verse. The first says, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. This first invitation emphasizes our need, our desire, and the abundant supply that the Lord has. I need, I want, I long for something that I don't have. Do you need and long for something, have a deep longing for something. Then in the second invitation, he says, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. This one emphasizes our helplessness, our hopelessness, our inability to provide for ourselves what we want and need, what is necessary for our survival. I have no way to pay for this, and yet it says, buy. Isn't that interesting? I can't get it without buying it. And yet it has no cost, and I have no ability to pay. 
fact, this idea of no cost is in the third invitation. You forward me there. Yeah, come buy wine and milk. This is stepping to a whole other level of luxuriousness, right? This isn't just water you need for survival. These are luxury supplies. I mean, especially in this time. This is, this is the kind of thing you'd see in a, in a fancy, uh, you know, fancy home, having this, this great rich meal, this feast with wine and milk, abundantly supplied. And it is said to be without money and without price. Could you go ahead and forward that again, Landon? Keep going there. The next verse asks a question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do we work and work whenever it's not going to fulfill us, whenever there's something that we could buy that costs us nothing. Let's explore for a moment what it means for this to cost us nothing, and yet we have to buy it. It said it twice. We have to buy this thing. You got a new battery for me? Okay. Thank you. Uh, So in order to understand what's happening here, we have to follow the flow of the book. You have to pay attention to what's happening in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah, there is a a litany of problems that are addressed and challenges. And then there is a complete change in tone that happens in, guess what chapter? Isaiah 53. And this passage is the direct outflow of Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 54, we read about how no weapon that's fashioned against you can stand, how there is pardon that's abundant, how he will have a covenant of peace with us, and there's steadfast love. There is a total different uh, direction, where a different kind of welcome, a different kind of offer of forgiveness and love that starts to show up in this tone that takes place right after Isaiah 53 Well, what happened in Isaiah 53? Look with me, will you, at Isaiah 53. And I'll just read a few verses from this core passage that's sometimes been called the Gospel in the Old Testament. Written hundreds of years before Christ, we read about Jesus. In verse 5, we read, But he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We've all gone astray and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. What has changed? Jesus has paid the price for our feast. Jesus has said, it's okay. I've got you. I'll pay 
and you drink. I'll pay and you drink. Jesus paid the price for my sins, for your sins. Jesus overcame my death and your death. Jesus took away the barriers that were between me and God whenever he took upon himself my sin on the cross. And then he was buried, and three days later he rose again, conquering death after he conquered sin. And 40 days after that, he ascended into heaven where he reigns right now as the king, as the Christ, as the Lord of lords who is, despite what anybody else might think, the one who has all authority and the one who deserves all honor and praise. He deserves your service and he deserves my service. And he calls us to follow him. He paid this price. And so God says, why, having seen what the suffering servant has done, would you spend your money for what's not bread and your labor for what doesn't satisfy? Maybe it wasn't the batteries. There it is. You work so hard. And for what? You know, some people say, man, the Christian life is so hard. And it is. It's hard. If in this life alone we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. But it's hard and it's good. It's hard and it's right. It's hard and it's blessed. And in so many ways, and Jesus says this as well, it's easy. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. And in so many ways, it's the better way to live. Even now, the abundant life begins now and overflows into eternity. But here people are striving and fighting and clawing for some kind of satisfaction and not finding any satisfaction. I have been there. I've been there before I was a Christian. I've been there after I was a Christian where I lost my way. You know, and you go chasing every rainbow thinking there's a pot of gold there and it's just fool's gold. Why do you labor for what doesn't satisfy? We sang the song a little bit ago. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire. Only you can satisfy. My favorite psalm, Psalm 63, talks about thirsting for God in a dry and weary land where is no water. And verse 5 then says, I am satisfied as with rich food. It's like I just ate this big steak dinner that has me so full, I don't even know how people can think about food. I'm so satisfied. So satisfied. And yet, I keep coming back for more. In Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah, the Lord really asks through Jeremiah, he says that his people have had two evils. 
One is they have rejected himself, the fountain of living waters. And the second evil is that they've hewn out for themselves cisterns of bad water. They're turning to something else. They're turning to idolatry. They're turning to other things to try to satisfy themselves. And boy, do people do that. Boy, do we do this sometimes. I should just speak for myself. There have been times where I've tried to to fill the place that, that only God can fill with busyness, trying to accomplish enough things that I feel differently about things, about the world, about my work, about myself, or with uh, entertainment, or with you know, some kind of other distraction. People turn to even false religion. People turn to trying to seek the esteem of others. People, we turn to all different things. Everybody has a different poison, so to speak. And we have to watch out for it because those are the idols. It's like your stories sometimes about those who are stuck out in the middle of the ocean, right? And there they are, surrounded by water. Water, water everywhere. The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Coleridge. And all the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. Because what happens when you drink salt water? You get thirstier. Your kidneys can't process it fast enough. It's an unhealthy thing. You can't, it does not quench your thirst. And what do people do? If we look all around us, we see all kinds of ways to try to fill this, to try to satisfy, try to quench. And so we we can dip in and grab from around us easily, but nothing really satisfies But, maybe today, you are closer to that water than you might think. You're here, hearing the message of Christ. You have an opportunity ever before you. As you see how to approach him, you learn how to be filled Reminds me of a story, next slide, Charles Spurgeon talks about, about a vessel that was sailing on the northeast coast of South America, and it was seen putting out a distress signal. And it's hailed by another vessel, and, and they reported themselves dying for water. And the response was, dip it up then, you are in the mouth of the Amazon River. They thought they had no access, but they had had fresh water all around them. There is fresh water on offer. There is living water on offer to you. The presence of God himself, the Holy Spirit, as we studied about last week, that that idea of, of something that changes in us from the Lord that doesn't come from us, when we turn to him, that bubbles up and becomes a stream of living water, violently gushing forth. This idea of Jesus close to us, of God with us. 
The gift is not not only what Jesus offers us. The gift is the Lord. It's him. It's so hard to explain sometimes because you can't put this into, I have this advertising background. I sometimes want to put this into a features and benefits list. You know, here's the features of being a Christian. Here's the benefits. And that's important. You could do that. I do that. We reason and I could give reasons for it. I could tell the story of it. But if you're thirsty and you hear the answer, then you know. And if you're not thirsty or you're not aware that you're thirsty, I can list all of the features and benefits and I, I can't seem to get through to you. You have to recognize your thirst and decide, I want the waters. Let's go to the next slide. At the end of that verse, verse 2, he says, Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Literally, it says, listen listeningly. You think he wants us to listen? This in the Hebrew. Listen listeningly. Like, listen intently. Like, like, this is the listening that your life depends on. If you're not on the edge of your seat, scoot forward, lean in, not to hear what I say, but what God is saying. We have to listen to him or we have no way to the living water. It starts by hearing. It starts by hearing before you're a Christian. And it starts by constantly hearing when you're already a Christian. Constantly listening to God is the key. Not just what you hear, but how you hear, Jesus says in Mark 4. Let's go to the next slide. So hearing is the beginning. Romans 10 is this, this chapter that it's, it's in the middle of <clears throat> Paul talking about the Israelites and, and why some of the Israelites aren't, aren't saved. And then he starts talking about this message of salvation. He talks about how somebody needs to hear something They can't hear it unless it's preached to them. They can't believe it unless they listen to it. Romans 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But that faith, that trust, that loyalty, that belief, it has to be expressed. It's in our heart, he says in verses 9 and 10, and then it comes out of our mouth. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. To confess is to declare, this is where I stand. Here is where I I stake my life. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Lord, and I'm with him. It's not just about an idea we affirm. To say, I believe you're the king, is to say, I'm going to follow the king. I'm with you, Lord. And, And we declare that publicly with our mouth. 
and we turn and we're baptized. Romans 6 talks about this idea of how just like Jesus died and was buried and rose again, we too die to ourselves. And then when we're buried, we come in contact with Christ's death. What saves us? Christ's death, Christ's blood. We come into contact with us. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's a new life. We've repented. We've turned. Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of, a lot of people who practice not just, not just water baptism, but immersion that practice it for a very different reason than what we just talked about. Not as the point of salvation, but as something that's a good act of obedience to do after you're saved. After you've received Jesus and then you know, maybe it's the next day, maybe it's many weeks later, maybe, maybe you never get around to it, but you should. It's a good thing to do. But, but let's listen. Listen listeningly to what God says. In Acts 22, verse 16, Ananias says to Paul, Why do you wait? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. How do we call on the Lord's name for help, for salvation? How do we wash away our sins? Paul already believed. He saw Jesus. He was ready. He was following step by step. But in that moment, his sins were washed away. Saved. I have a a tract out front I wanted to point to that goes into some of this a little bit more. It's not very long but it gives a few other passages and walks through the story of baptism. And if you have questions about, you know, did, did I follow the, what the Lord taught in baptism? Uh, you might look at that. I, I'd be happy to study with you. I'd love that. If, uh, there's probably other, others here who would love to study that with you. The other day, sometime this week, we always try to ask the kids, you know, what did you learn in Bible class? And this, this may have been Wednesday, might have been Sunday. And um, Anna said, well, I learned about the steps of salvation. And I think Tabitha is her teacher, maybe, and she's going through the steps of salvation, and we're quizzing her on it, and she says at, at the end, and then, you know, be faithful unto death. And Adrian had a little bit of an epiphany. Is that fair to say? That, that she was not taught that as a step of salvation in, in her years you know, where, where she grew up at a, you know, a faithful congregation. But she said she saw in her own life and in others that maybe that was a lacking. Not that they didn't believe you needed to be faithful, but not seeing that it's not like you're baptized and then bam, you know, there's, there's an old uh, article by um, 
by Robert Turner that he turned into a poem called I've Been Baptized. And it's, it's kind of in a southern voice. And he says, you know, that the, the Baptists teach uh, the impossibility of apostasy, but sometimes we practice it. Like we, we say, I've been baptized. It was old, old brother so-and-so that, you know, came and did a meeting, did that, and I can, I can live this way and I can do that thing. But I've been baptized, so it doesn't matter anymore. No. The Bible doesn't just say, come to Jesus. In John 15, Jesus says, abide in me. Live in me, stay in me, dwell in me constantly. That's where the life is. That's where he talks about being the vine and we're the branches. We have to stay connected to the vine. We have to walk faithfully. Revelation 2.10 talks about being faithful unto death, not just until death, but even to the point of death. We stand with Jesus. See, as a Christian, we're on a journey from one place to another. And we go through dry spells, periods where we're going through the desert like, like the Israelites in the wilderness. And we need to access the rock that bubbles forth with water constantly. I need that life. I lose track of that sometimes. I lose track of that and how I, I, I have in my attitudes or, or my love for others or my devotional practices and my habits, all of these things. We also can sometimes, as, as we're Christians walking this way, block up that well. You know that? You can, you can block your own access to God. He's not blocking it. You are. I am. By our sin, by our selfishness, by our thoughtlessness, about the Lord by stopping to seek him, not by ceasing seeking him. We have to hunger and thirst for him constantly, even as we're constantly filled. And it's work, and it's, it's a practice of daily life, and that is where the source of life comes from. We're not working to earn it. We're just putting ourselves in the path of God's grace with all of the acts of obedience and faith that we do. So sometimes in all these advertisements, you see this, you know, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Have you ever had 100% satisfaction? I mean, you might say, yeah, I have no regrets about buying that vacuum. You know, that vacation didn't disappoint me, really. It was, it was fine. But do you have 100% satisfaction in all of your life? What God offers and listening to those verses, he says, and you will be satisfied. Soul satisfaction. Whole life satisfaction for eternity. Because what you need is God, is Jesus, is the Holy Spirit. What you need is not something out there. It's the one who is drawing as close to you as you will let him. And if you are willing, knocking at the door, he's offering. You know, imagine up here that there's 10,000 bottles of water and you're sitting there thirsty. 
There is no lack. Take a drink. Drink from the life-giving fountain. You know you were born thirsty? I was, uh, I've seen four births now. Up close and personal. It's an intense experience, I tell you. <laughs> and I know, I was, on the, I was on the light side of it. I get it. <laughs> You know, I, I caught three of them, and, you know, immediately, what do you do? They didn't stick with me. Nadia stuck with me for a minute because there were some technical issues. But immediately, they go to mom because they're thirsty. And you know what else? They're hungry. And you know what else? They're tired. Thirsty and hungry tired. You know who Jesus invites? The thirsty. John 7, 37 to 38, come to me, all you who are thirsty, and drink of the waters of life without cost, and those who believe in me, it will become in them an overwhelming spring of water flowing from their hearts. He invites the hungry, he says in John 6, I am the bread Eat of me, you'll never be hungry. Eve started off our service this morning with his invitation to the weary. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Are you tired? I will give you rest. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. You'll find rest for your soul. I'm meek and lowly in heart. You can trust me, you can follow me, and you'll find rest. You know, the babies wanted something. They wanted that physical physical milk, that physical uh, rest. But we have a need that's greater than that. And what, what the baby really wants, even more than those things, what's deeply needed is closeness. You know, they often the, the babies go skin to skin with mom right away. They need closeness with mom the one that they instinctively, by God's design, know that they can trust, the one who loves them unconditionally. They need a bond, a relationship, security in that bond. And that ultimately is what Jesus is really offering. Closeness with the one that you can trust absolutely to love you unconditionally, to never go wrong with you. Always bless. So the next verse, he says, that your soul may live. That's what this is all about. It wasn't ever, he's letting, a, letting us see, here's what I was really talking about. It wasn't about hunger. It wasn't about thirst. May your soul live. Life for your soul. Lasting life filling you. And so we invite you this morning if you're not a Christian, to quench your thirst, hear him. He's calling. He's telling you what to do to come to him. You can come right now as we stand and sing.